0: plushcare.com slash weight loss it's may 19th 1974 and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by aria rebecca and Ali, the retrospectors So usually the research I do for this show is a mixture of online reading, podcast listening, and that sort of thing. But this week I actually did some practical research by buying myself a Rubik's Cube, the toy that was invented on this day in 1974. And I can now conclusively report that I am not among the 6% of people in the world who are able to solve this stupid dumb puzzle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It may give you some consolation, Arian, to know that even the inventor of the Rubik's Cube, the titular Mr. Erno Rubik, didn't solve it himself at first he he'd come up with it as a model for 3d movement for his students he was a professor of architecture in budapest and he actually said you know he built this prototype and it took him a month to actually solve it he wasn't even sure it could be solved
0: that did make me feel a little bit better but (laughs) then i thought about all of these kids who now do it in a speed trial way and their record is now like six seconds or something (laughs) they have speed cubes
2: though don't they they're specially made cubes that are slicker and smoother to operate True. That's maybe that's That'll my problem. That might be the reason, Ari. Yeah. <laughs> Blame your tools. <laughs> that's
1: the only thing between you and these 12-year-old Chinese kids.
0: Well, Rubik himself had experimented apparently in his mother's flat using a combination of wood and rubber bands and paper clips to make this prototype that he eventually came up with what we now know to be the Rubik's Cube, a six-sided structure with nine interlocking cubes on each side, each painted a different color. But anyway, he then went on to apply for a patent for what he had called his magic cube or Veszkotzka in Hungarian, which was granted a year later, but it still took another three years to get it to market, and it was only actually in 1977 that it started to appear in Budapest toy shops, and it did become really popular, despite the fact that it's so entirely infuriating.
1: Yeah, because it feels like it goes against everything we know about toys and about children. You know, it was marketed in Budapest as a spatial logic toy, which, when you hear those (laughs) words, you don't think, "I'm having a great time. I'm going to become addicted to this puzzle." It doesn't really do. Justice to the magic of the Rubik's Cube, but then what could? Because there was nothing like it before. And it's the sort of thing where if you are one of the first people, you know, say your brother or sister comes along and said, Oh, look, I've brought your kid this toy, you think, Oh, for God, couldn't you just buy them, like, you know, a toy horse or something? <laughs> it doesn't scream fun and games, does it? It's just got this strange addictive power.
0: But I think it also looks quite easy. It, it's deceptively complicated, but it looks like the sort of thing that you could solve because, at least in its solved state, before you mix it up and hit one of those. 43 quintillion possible different (laughs) orientations that have been boggling my brain since. You know, it looks like the sort of thing that you should be able to solve. Apparently you're only ever 20 moves away from the solution, despite whatever you've done to it, whatever turns you've done in the first place.
2: And also as a parent, it's the kind of thing you're not bothered about them having at the dinner table, because it doesn't have batteries in the screen.
1: And it became popular enough in Hungary that it was taken to the 1979 Nuremberg Toy Fair in Germany, which was where it was spotted by an American marketing executive called Tom Kramer, who brought the idea to the Ideal Toy Company, and they wanted to rename it after its inventor, which was, this was the first time this had appeared to Rubik, you know, he called it the magic cube. Apparently they also considered the Gordian Knot, which I'm like... Wow, talk about a game that already isn't scream fun and then (laughs) add, like, an obscure classical reference to it. I'm sure the kids will be tripping over themselves.
0: By the way, Ideal Toys, the company that picked it up, also makes the Magic 8-Ball the mousetrap board game which i desperately wanted as a kid and get this shirley temple dolls and the diners club credit card game wow no.
2: <laughs> they're the retrospectors manufacturer of choice yep. we've covered all of their topics
1: are they still around do they want to sponsor the show <laughs>
2: they're not unfortunately they sold uh, well fortunately for them at the peak of rubik's mania for 58 million dollars to cbs in 1982 Damn, <laughs> nabbit <laughs> They also, creepily, in a flash-forward to tomorrow's episode, folks, made the can evil Knievel toy stunt bike. But anyway, Rebecca, Amazing. continue.
1: <laughs> well, all I was going to say is I know at the top I did say, Aaron, you shouldn't feel bad because it took Rubik a month to solve it, but he actually got very good at it very quickly. And by the time the Americans wanted to exhibit it at the New York Toy Fair, he was the only person still who could solve it reliably. He'd got it down to about a minute, which at the time was very impressive, although now people can do it in a fraction of that time. And he was brought there to be the demonstrator, which was... Sort of an amusing proposition because he apparently had a very self-effacing, modest professorial demeanour and a pretty limited command of English. But clearly the toy spoke for itself.
0: Quite quickly as well, there came to be these spin-off books published on how to solve the cube, including one called You Can Do the Cube. that was written by a 12-year-old, a guy called Patrick Bossett, and that sold 1.5 million copies. So on top of the fact that they were shifting all of these units of the toy itself, they were also selling tie-in stuff. And maybe that's where the profits came with the extra merchandise that could be produced around the cube itself. No, because you didn't need to have an
2: official license to write a book about how to solve the Rubik's Cube because it's just a maths puzzle. It didn't need to be licensed. And in <laughs> fact, unlicensed products were... Well, I was about to say a real problem, but probably not when you're selling 100 million authorized cubes, (laughs) which is what they were doing by the early 1980s in the States. Um, But for every 100 million authorized cubes, there are estimated to be at least 50 million unauthorized knockoffs and 10 million books explaining how to do it. Which, again, speaks to the fact that it's it's a very internet thing now, isn't it? We think of Ruby as a very internet thing because there's almost nothing more perfect for a TikTok video than a teenager doing anything in five seconds. Um, (laughs) Especially (laughs) something that's very visual and appeals to nerds. I mean, it's like the ideal sort of catnip for the internet. But before there was the internet, there were books for nerds about how to solve these things. Yeah,
1: the number one best-selling book of 1981 in the United States was James G. Norse's The Simple Solution to Rubik's Cube. That sold six million copies and... Two of the other books in the top 10 that year were also about solving a Rubik's cube.
0: (laughs) Well, despite the fact that there were all of these knockoffs going around, the main toy is thought to have generated at least $5 billion in global revenue. But at the time when he invented the cube, Erno Rubik himself was earning $200 a month in his job as a professor in Hungary. And the, the success of that instantly catapulted his earnings to more like 30000 per month in terms of royalties. And he didn't even apparently do a very good deal with the sale of the toys. He really does sound like a guy who's not motivated by money yeah. as his primary interest in life. In fact, when I saw him interviewed, he really just seems to like the fact that he made something that's immensely popular, which is quite cool.
2: Especially when everybody knows his name. And it's a name that, you know, you could think if you were a more commercially-minded entrepreneurial sort, and he obviously is, but not that much, as you're suggesting, you'd really take a million miles down the hill, right? I mean, (laughs) his name could almost be synonymous with genius, couldn't it, if you marketed it in a certain way? It's like, he has got that Eastern European quality. It's similar to Einstein, I guess, and the way that people have marketed that after his death. You could have a whole line of rubik's teach yourself maths books he's just not yeah. been interested in that did you actually have a cube as a kid rebecca
1: do you know what i don't think i had one myself but i definitely remember trying to do it like maybe a friend's house or something it was yeah. never gonna be like i got no patience for that kind of thing like, i was never gonna be making any headway there
2: but it's just satisfying isn't it because it's tactile that's the thing because i'm not a maths person either i never thought i'd be able to solve it but it's just fun to play with like almost one of those executive desk toys
1: yeah and you can peel the stickers off and put them on different squares so it looks like you did something <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the one I had actually was Rubik's Magic, which was the oh, follow-up yeah. product, which we've forgotten. Which was, did you have one? It was the rings, interconnected rings, like the Olympic logo. Yeah. And it sort of, it's hard to describe. It flattened out. It's like a piece of foldable Perspex, I guess, with loads of bits of wire underneath. That meant you could fold it in lots of different combinations. And the idea was to connect and disconnect the rings, mm-hmm. sort of on screen, as it were. Like, you couldn't touch them like you can with the cube. You could see them under the surface. Um, and I was really addicted to that, but got so frustrated with it that when I visualise it now, my, my copy of the Rubik's Rings it's one with like all the wires and strings sticking out the side, <laughs> so just like frustratedly
0: like pulled it, it apart. It was very breakable, but also yeah. quite solvable. There was a really simple trick. I remember that if you learnt, you could just sort of do this hand movement. I bet if you gave me one, I could probably still do it now, <laughs> um, which I you know obviously can't with this one. At
2: the risk of pouring a bucket of piss all over this episode, uh, I must just. <laughs> query why we are uh, releasing it on this day of the 19th of may um because uh, you were right to say arian in your introduction that this is the day that the internet says that erno rubik invented the rubik's Cube. But actually, as we've been saying, like he was an architecture professor, it took him ages to work out exactly how to design it. There were loads of different iterations. The whole thing involves a sphere in the middle which didn't come about in the initial designs. Then his students worked on it. Then he patented it years later. It's actually impossible to know the actual date that he did this. And so why is it that the internet says the 19th of May 1974 was the day that he invented the Rubik's Cube? It's because... On the 19th of May, 2014, Google did a Google Doodle of a digital Rubik's Cube. I think that's fine. Um, Yeah, it's good enough for me. That's enough. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) And the reason they chose it as the anniversary of the Rubik's Cube, now this is how you know it really is for nerds, is because... May the 19th, obviously in America, is written 5 slash 19 because they write the month first and there are 519 quintillion combinations on the Rubik's Cube.
0: Wow. I thank
2: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that can't be it. That, is that why they chose this date? There we go. Fine. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, That's sorry, it. listeners. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ten minutes wasted. <laughs>
0: Tomorrow. Like, am I watching a snuff film here? Is he about to plunge to his death? Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.